Hi, I'm Jody Melman, and this is Backstage with the Bardavon. Our podcast will draw back the curtain and bring you backstage at the Bardavon 1869 Opera House that is located in Poughkeepsie, New York. For more than 150 years, notables such as Mark Twain, Frank Sinatra, James Earl Jones, Mary Tyler Moore, Santana, Aretha Franklin, and John Legend have graced its stage. Today, we are honored to speak with Philippe Petit, the incredible Wirewalker artist who captivated the world when he walked on a wire between the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in August 1974. Since then, Philippe has conquered such structures as the Eiffel Tower, Grand Central Station, and the Cathedral of St. John the Divine, where he's been an artist in residence for over 45 years. We caught up with Philippe, a Hudson Valley resident, as he just completed shooting a new film, Open Practice, at UPAC in Kingston, which gives the audience a front row seat to the origin of Philippe's famous walks and moves. I'm excited to chat with the amazing man on a wire, Philippe Petit. Philippe, welcome to Backstage with the Bardavon. I wish you as being the man on the wire, the man, the the daredevil who, who walked across the, the from one World Trade Center to the next World Trade Center. Actually, I never use the word daredevil. Okay. Man, uh, uh, Highwire actor. What I do. <laughs> <laughs> How would you describe what you do? Um, well, my profession is a high wire worker, mm-hmm. and I have adopted high wire artist, um, which uh, describe well what I do because I am not born in the circus. And therefore, I do not try to prove anything. I do not try to break records. I do not try to make the audience uh, go scared. I try to show how simple and beautiful it is. And therefore, it's an art. It is a beautiful, it's a beautiful art. And an art that you've practiced all over the world. Yes, and my entire life, I'm still doing it. Yes. Um, you know, I was looking at videos, and it seems like... You've done Notre Dame, the St. John the Divine, um, Eiffel Tower, Lincoln Center. Is there any place that you have yet to conquer that you'd like to? Oh, yes, yes. I have a giant uh, trunk under my bed, and it's labeled Projects. And in (laughs) it are um, man-made structure or nature-made places where I would love to put my wire. but it's uh, it's a hard profession. <laughs> what's what's the number one on your list? No, I don't have a number one. But um, I would love to go to Easter Island, mm-hmm. which is a mysterious place, of course, and put my wire in connection with the sacred statues, the Moai, and offer a performance to highlight um, the the Rapanui people who are not, you know who are not well uh, seen in the world. Um, and that's what interests me, is to blend my art with uh, uh, a special people and special places. Well, I was looking at, well, you mentioned that in one of your interviews about the East, the heads on Easter Island. And when you envision it in your mind, do you see the wire across the top of them? How do you, how do you envision it? Um, I do not envision it yet. What I need is a... Um, angel of the arts to write it <laughs> so I can go to Easter Island for the first time in my life and spend a couple of weeks um, I have friends there ready to, to guide me and then discover the island I have books and photographs but it's not the same as being there and when I am there I will propose one or two different walks and see how it is received 
and hope the dreams come true. Before the pandemic, what was your last walk? Um, I did a very small walk, but that was quite prestigious at the the glass house, mm-hmm. um, the famous, you know, first uh, Philip Johnson. Yes, uh, it was a very small <laughs> structure, but I wanted to play with the structure, so I did an incline from the ground in a beautiful garden to the roof of the structure, which was uh, not even twenty feet high. <laughs> But it was a fundraising party and people in tuxedo with a glass of champagne really enjoyed it. And um, uh, that was my last uh, performance. Uh, no, no, no. I, a, a few weeks ago, I was in San Francisco doing a private performance in a private uh, space for a private group. So nobody heard about it. And it was in a somewhat of a white marble sanctuary. And I had a small rig, uh, six feet tall, like the one I use in open practice. And it, it was one of my best performances. So let's talk a little bit about open practice. What an exciting thing, especially for for people like myself who are affiliated with the Bardavon in the Hudson Valley. I mean, you 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 have scheduled and done a wonderful performance up at UPAC. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, uh, the performance has not happened. The live oh, performance. Oh, I didn't know that. COVID has not happened. But what we did is we filmed it in the UPAC Theater, the beautiful theater of Kingston, New York. Uh, we filmed it with a few cameras and a crane, I mean, very professionally and artistically. Then it was edited for weeks and weeks. And now we have a very good uh, film um, that reflects the show. But the show, I would love to do it. But right, right now, <laughs> it's early. Um, what it is, and, and it's a unique thing, because when you see performers or, let's say, masters at their craft do achievements well the audience usually marvels at the achievement but they never see the backstage never see how does barishnikov can do 12 pirouettes Mm -hmm. well it takes a lifetime it takes hours of dedication and practice but this is very rarely shown or maybe in a documentary a few minutes the actor backstage practices so i thought let's do an entire performance where i will practice in front of the audience. Now, if I practice in front of the audience, like I do every day of my life, I practice for three hours, it will be utterly boring. I have to explain, I have to share with the audience. You see this walk, I got the idea when I was 14 years old by looking at this person, and then suddenly everything I do makes sense and is appealing and interesting. So I did two, I did the world premiere for Streb a couple of years ago in Brooklyn. Elizabeth Streb, you know, um, and then I did a little theater upstate New York, hidden in the mountains, and now I would like to continue the show. I would like to tour the show, mm-hmm. and each time I, I've done twice the performance, each time people come to me after and say, this is amazing because we're never allowed to see how, how a master prepares, you know, or uh, let alone be backstage and see how you prepare. So um, I have a great joy doing it, and people receive it very well, and I hope that film will be, uh, you know, opening the door to me doing it, uh, uh, performing live. I would like to do a tour with it. Well, it's a brilliant idea, especially given the fact that we can't come to see you at the theater, and especially 
when I was looking at the Bardavon's website, this is really geared toward children, ages three to 12. And there's study guides that go along with who you oh, are yes, yes. and the, the performance. The, the, the show is not a, a for children. No. But I mean, I have had, uh, you know, little six, seven years old kids uh, enjoying it. Um, but yes, we did a special, uh, um, how do you say, uh, version of the video that uh, in which I talk more to the kids. And I think it's very appealing to kids. So did you do two performances, one for adults yeah, and one for well, children? I, I did a presentation at the beginning, yes. which was less uh, formal and serious, more, you know, uh, hands-on and matter-of-fact, and you could do it too and things like that. Uh, but the performance is more or less the same. When I was looking at some of the study guides that go along with the children's performance, I saw there were hieroglyphs down at the bottom of the page, and it said these are Philippe's hieroglyphs that show his um, how he does his practices. Is that how you create them? Do you this is how I, I live my entire life, uh, how I record things when I practice. I, record, I have a little cahier and I record the good, the bad, you know, the ideas for the future. And instead of writing a long thing, I make a ugly little sketch, a little hieroglyph, um, you know, and for example, uh, um, in my uh, daily agenda, my, my appointment book, if uh, Tuesday I have to go to the dentist, I don't write dentist. I make a little drawing of a molar with the three, <laughs> the three roots, you know, so it's very childlike. And in my open practice, I have a little sheet uh, that I put on the X so that if I forget an exercise, I don't, you know, um, uh, damage the entire show. I can just say, oh, I am about to forget this. And again, there is there are no words. It's a little drawing. For example, at some point, I do a walk I call the Torero, the bullfighter. Mm -hmm. um, I study bullfighting, not... not uh, killing the bull, but playing with a cape, you know, the beautiful choreography. So instead of writing bullfighting or torero, the little, uh, the title of the work, I have a little face like Picasso of two <laughs> horns and a rough uh, face of a bull. So, and actually when I do my lectures, um, I uh, have many topics in my lecture. And instead of writing it down, I have those hieroglyphs. And I give it when I arrive to the tech director because of the light and the sound. We need a little tech rehearsal. And they say, oh, my God, it's the first time we have been doing that for years. And it's the first time we receive from an artist a little drawing <laughs> sheet. And it's so much easier to follow than having to, to write next, he's going to stand on the chair and he's going to talk about an angel. No, right there, there is an angel with the two wings. And everybody, it's instant, you know, you don't have to read any words. So, and some people hate it, of course, they say, oh, we need something written down. So anyway, I love, it's very childlike. And I, I love the fact uh, that to me, it talks very easily, you know, a little sketch very simple, and I know where I am. When you're doing the open practice performance, do you stop to talk to the audience? Are you are you on the wire the whole time? Tell us a little bit about the structure or what I, we could I expect. On, I start on the floor uh, by sharing with the audience a few warm-up moves that have to do with me finding my balance and helping me on the wire. And after that, I get on the wire 
and I will not move. And I am always walking on the wire and doing different work. And I constantly talk. And I have a music. I have a boombox. So I stop the music. I interrupt Mozart or Beethoven. Um, I hope they forgive me for that. And then I explain something. And then I press the button and the music continue. And I demonstrate. So it's a non-stop walking and non-stop talking. And it's it's not a performance. It's rehearsing in front of the audience. Right, right. Well, is it? How do you find that as being different from when you lecture and when you, for example, you gave a TED talk? Do you find yourself walking and talking the same way? Yes, and um, I must be born as a storyteller because I love it. People tell me I'm very good at it and I don't really need to prepare, which which is not true. When I give a lecture, I have my list of little icons, little hieroglyphs to know that uh, after creativity, I talk about mistake and after I talk about uh, moving mountains, two little mountains, you know, on a screen. Um, so, no, I, I have a structure and I usually practice a little bit. But when I am on stage on the wire, I am in a moment of uh, uh, complete control and um, that's the easy part. <laughs> Being on wire is easier. Is that yes, what you're yes, telling very, me? It's very dangerous to walk on on earth. It's, you know, you're, the buses are coming, they're going to push you off the road. But on the wire, there is nothing. You just put your feet on the wire. It's so easy and so simple. Uh, it's a much better life. Well, you've been doing this since you were 16. What 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 prompted you to get up on the wire in the first place? Um, an entire childhood of uh, breaking uh, rules or um, rebelling against convention. Even my parents saying, uh, stop playing, come and have dinner. Have dinner, what a ridiculous loss of time, you know. So as a kid, I was really doing my own thing. And an expression of... Uh, of rebelling is to climb. So I was climbing since uh, three, four, five years old. And from six years old on, um, I was going in, uh, um, in France in a region with uh, mountains for vacation with my parents. And I will escape the family circle and I will climb. I knew nothing about climbing. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, I didn't even have a rope, you know. So I climbed like a kid at six, seven years old. Then I got a rope for my birthday and I start climbing and rappelling down, learning all things by myself and then putting ropes between trees like a Boy Scout do, you know, it's called a monkey bridge. You have one rope for the hands and one rope for the foot. Sounds easy, but it's actually very treacherous. I didn't know, of course, the knots to do and how to tighten the rope, but I managed to do my monkey bridges 10, 12, 13 years old. And then one day I thought, why am I holding the rope above my head? Let's try to just walk. And then I heard about wild walkers. I didn't see them. I heard about them, which I think was quite poetic and better than seeing some. And then I thought, well, that's nothing. I mean, I, I'm a wow walker. I walk on rope all my life. You know, says the 11 years old or 12 years old kid. So I started to learn 14, 15, 16. And uh, I made a lot of progress. And I found an old master in the circus who gave me some advice and gave me some cable because... I was walking on the ropes, mm. and that's how I 
learned by myself at 15, 16, how to become a high wire walker. Your first, your first high wire walk um, that was a public caper was Notre Dame, correct? Uh, that was the illegal. So it was yes, the, the, caper, the first yeah. major illegal. Before that, I have done two or three illegal walks in Paris that were completely not seen, you know. Mm. But Notre Dame, we called the press, we, my friends, you know, on the floor while I was upstairs, called the press, and I was in the front page all over the world. The only country that was not interested in this young, self-proclaimed poet of the air was my own country, the French. (laughs) So I started traveling around the world, and then I ended up in America, and uh, you know the rest. (laughs) I know the rest because I watched the documentary. Oh, Man on Wire. Man on Wire, and... It seemed like talking about dentists. You were talking about molars before. That that's when oh, yes. that's where you <laughs> fell in love with the World Trade Center, correct? At the dentist's yes. office. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It was reconstructed in the movie, um, and uh, yeah, that's a true story. That's incredible. But the whole thing, it's it seems to me when as I was watching the documentary, this is a caper. This is something. First of all, you it was the perfect point in time for it to occur because it was right before the opening of the World Trade Towers. I mean, yes. and, and security, there was security there, but it was lax, it's not anything like it would be today. It seemed no, like it was a perfect storm for you after all these years of planning to have it happen. Exactly, exactly. And it also, it seemed very mystical because there was a point where you're up there for 45 minutes and you're walking, and then it seemed like, Correct me if I'm wrong, it got misty. Yes. And was that what made you come down? Um, many things uh, made me stop my performance. The police was there for mm-hmm. a long time, but they could not force me out of the cable. But they were getting uh, antsy, impatient, and they <laughs> were threatening to bring a helicopter or to loosen the cable, which would have been instant death. Uh, that and then also I had been, uh, you know, on that wire for a long time, and I thought uh, it so the humidity in the air was turning to rain very soon. When I decided to give myself to the police, because nobody arrested me because they were not going to go on the wire. Um, I, it was raining, so, mm. you know, so for all those reasons, I, I thought, okay, let's do the crossing and let's stop. And even though you were arrested, the charges were dropped and you were able to give a show for children. I mean, that's spectacular. Yes, that, that also is part of the story that is uh, uh, untrue or un. Uh, uh, not rightly reported, you know, you, you read in Wikipedia, yeah. uh, he was sentenced, they dropped the charge, he was sentenced to do his show. Well, actually, they, they the powers that be, the judge, the district attorney, um, first, they couldn't really cut my head uh, French style because I was in the front page of all <laughs> of the world already. I mean, a right. few hours after I was released. Um, and then they said, would you agree to do a little show for children, for the television, you know, like uh, uh, 10 kids uh, juggling at a uh, near a tree and a beautiful landscape. And uh, 
And I said, yes, but I didn't have in mind a little show. I had in mind a giant show. So what I did is I made a press conference unbeknownst to the powers that be. And I said, I was asked to do a show. I'm going to do a show. And it will be a high wire incline, 100 feet to the top of the Belvedere Castle, over the, 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 the meadow and the lake and all that. And when the mayor and all those people heard that, they tried to stop it. <laughs> but okay, the press was alerted. I got some sponsors who said, we're going to buy a cable. We're going to help you rig it up. I mean, all New York was celebrating this breath of fresh air. That's how they, they saw my act, you know. Uh, and this young kid who was obviously a poet, not somebody trying to capitalize on, on the thing. So uh, I had a lot of supporters, unknown friends, and then I managed to do the show. And then all the powers that be, the district attorney and the mayor, all those people, they came and they put their arm around me for the press conference. saying, yeah, it was our idea. That was great. But they didn't want such a big thing. We had like 15,000 people. Wow. No? Yeah, it was wow. a big deal. That was a big it, deal. It was an illegal sentence <laughs> of the poor, illegal, you know. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting because it seems like once once the you gained notoriety for the World Trade Center, then it was no longer an illegal activity. Everywhere you went, you were invited all over the world. People wanted yeah. you. I that like was the, a turning I, point. I, I like the irony of that, although I, I still did other things. I did a, a walk at St. John the Divine illegally, and then I became friends with the dean, and I was uh, uh, invited to be artist in residence. I was 45 years ago. I am still artist in residence of that magnificent space, St. Mm -hmm. John the Divine. Um, so I have done things without permission, but yes, you're right. Mostly after my World Trade Center walk, my artistic life, my professional life changed and everybody was inviting me and paying me right. to do performances. That's, that must be very gratifying. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was. That's why I stayed in this country. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad that you're here. <laughs> so when you lecture, it seems like creativity and challenging the impossible are two major themes of of your speeches. Yes, and I I um I talk well basically what I do when I get on stage and I do a lecture, it's very close to a one-man show. <laughs> uh, the people come to me after and they say, This was not a lecture, this was a performance. I say, Well, thank you. <laughs> what I do on stage is I draw from my life on all the things I do. I was talking about bullfighting. I study bullfighting. I uh, study uh, um, post and beam uh, 18th century uh, barn raising. I study uh, many languages. I speak many languages. I uh, study magic and juggling and the high wire and writing. I have written 10 books. So all that, and I am a pickpocket as well, and I am a lock picker. You know, I'm a criminal, I'm an artist, criminal. <laughs> So I bring that on stage and I tell story and sometimes to illustrate the story, I reenact on, on the stage. So I am suddenly an actor, you know, or a mime. Or a, so it's very entertaining. And I have a giant screen behind me, uh, four by eight, and I constantly interrupt myself and I do the hieroglyph. I do little illustration of what I'm doing. 
if I talk about uh, fear, which is a very important theme in my life, um, I go to the blackboard and I draw very quickly a giant spider because I'm afraid of spiders. <laughs> So, you see, it's very entertaining, but also it's very educating. And uh, at the end, when I leave the stage, uh, the result of my uh, lecture is on that board. And you can see all the little drawings. Sometimes it's a giant mess, but you can see, oh, my God, he talked about all those things. And people are amazed because it's not from my imagination. It's from my life, you know. So talking about fear, you fear spiders? But not well, heights, uh, but yes. not heights. In, <laughs> in, in terrestrial fear, I don't like animals that have too many legs yeah. uh, or animals that have no legs at all, okay. like those uh, snakes. I, you know, but, but all that, and I say that in my lecture, I say, but fear for me is the absence of knowledge. If I start studying the tarantula, I'm going to fall in love with that animal, you see, and I won't be afraid. So um, it's, um, it touches many people because we all have fears. And I said, if you're interested to fight your fear, get knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So. It's, I found a, a quote um, it, that, you, that you said, and this I think it came off the, the website for the TED Talk, and it said, death frames the high wire, but I don't see myself as taking risks. I do all the preparations that a non-death seeker would do. That is very true. Um, I uh, learned at an early age when uh, I fell in love with wire walking, um, I only could be a wire walker if I managed to set the wire, to rig the wire. So I had to become somewhat of an engineer. I had to calculate the tension. And so it took me a lifetime. And uh, I am not a certified engineer from any engineering school, but I am a better engineer. I'm putting a cable between two uh, cliffs than most engineers. They, mm. they don't know about cable. So anyway, uh, that, that is a passion of mine. And uh, I, I completely forgot the question. What was the question? Oh, the question, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit, about your preparation for each and everything yes. that you do. Yes, the, the, well, the preparation, oh, yes, yes, it has turning around. I don't feel I am uh, in danger. Correct. Because I prepare so well. Yes. So I became, after 60 years, I'm 72 today, so I started at 15 or something. Uh, after all those dozens of years, um, I eliminate the question mark because it will be terrifying for a wire worker, for me, to put my first feet on a wire and to hope, to say, oh, I hope this cable is going to hold. I hope the whole thing is not going to break apart. Mm. So I will not be able to walk or certainly to do a beautiful walk. So I started being a madman of details learning uh, the part of engineering that has to do with wire walking and then becoming good at it. And um, I study the building. I, uh, you know, do my homework weeks or months, sometimes years for a giant walk like at the Eiffel Tower. Uh, you cannot uh, improvise something like that. And very often I have to work with local engineers because they don't take my word, you know, who am I? I know nothing. <laughs> so I said, I want to do this and say, 
oh, but the kid is right. It will work, <laughs> you know, the kid. Anyway, so um, after all those preparations, I make a point of directing the rigging. First, I love to pull cable to make knots. I have written a book of knots, illustrated <laughs> by me. Um, anyway, I love to put my hands, you know, uh, in in the... In the things and and uh, also that way I know every detail, every rope, every bolt and nut. So when I am on the wire, um, yes, it's a dangerous profession, but I am not gambling my life. I am controlling. I am actually doing something that is very profound. I think I am carrying my life across, not sharing with the audience that I play with my life. That will be, you know, mm-hmm. uh, obscene, like my friend Werner Herzog would say. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, t- when you talk to children's and, and, and speak to children's groups, do you, do you tell them it's, pre- it's preparation? You know, that, that uh, the key to success is preparation? Well, I still... I all my childhood, I was badly grown up who wanted to share their experience and their knowledge with me, and I really didn't want it. And what I wanted was to grow up in my life as an adult, not losing my child, uh, my child ability. So I am very childlike. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say childish, but I'm an old man who is very <laughs> childlike. So when I meet children or young people, I will never teach them, tell them, uh, give them advice, you know. I will almost do the opposite. I will do a magic trick or I would say, how would you do that? Or, what about this way? And I will guide them to discover by themselves, which is the way I have learned most of the thing in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, you know, self-taught, uh, which I think is the best school, the best education, because you do trial and error. Sometimes you spend, uh, you know, two years more than the person who got fed the solution in two seconds. But things are more precious. And the thing that the mistake that you have done, uh, you will remember all your life, you see. So it's an education uh, that is more um, beautiful and strong than the education that is given in in schools and all that. I, I was thrown out of many schools as a kid <laughs> because I was unbearable. I was unruly. Um, but anyway, going back to why I have no fear on the wire is because um, I prepare and I have nothing to fear. Now, uh, the show open practice how high is your wire off off the stage um i design a special apparatus that can allow me to work in any small theater so it is two x's and a two anchor point and between the x which are six feet tall there is a wire of 23 feet long um so it's a small apparatus, mm-hmm. but I can work in small theater. Because it's uh, small and intimate, when people see me in the sky, they point at me and they see a dot in the sky. But here they are very happy for uh, once to be able to see my face, my gesture, the details of the hand and feet. And I'm talking mostly about that, how I place my feet, how I hold the balancing pole. So it's the perfect apparatus for a small or medium-sized theater for the people to enjoy the details of seeing a wire walker. Now, do you, since you're so hands-on, do you design the actual cable itself? 
Uh, yes, I do for, for major walks. I have done a giant walk at the Eiffel Tower, 700 yards long from zero level to the second story of the Eiffel Tower, uh, 110 yards in the sky. Did you so walk for, up or walk down? <laughs> no, no, I, I like to walk up because it has a nice feeling that you leave the crowd and yes. you disappear in the sky, so to speak, you know? yes. Lovely. Um, so uh, for that uh, for that event, I had the luxury. We had time and money. I had the luxury of designing my own cable, and then a French uh, cable factory made it to my specifications. But it doesn't take a very special cable to walk on. I can walk on any cable, mm -hmm. but after a lifetime of doing it, if I have the time and the money to do it, I like to design my own cable, which is seven eighths in diameter. Um, and a certain strength, you know, uh, and a certain design. But basically, there are no uh, secrets or mysteries in wire walking. Do you have a team that works with you? Well, yes, I have my brother who is based in Paris, France. When I do a, a, a big event, he comes and he is my um, my rigor, and then I have uh, people in when I travel mm -hmm. attached to the theater. There are always technical crew and all that, so I audition people, and then uh, you know you don't need much people to do a, a, a small or a medium high wire. You need five, six people, mm -hmm. um, and I direct the crew and and I do my planning, my rigging plan weeks in advance. Um, But for the big events, it's nice to have a crew that you have worked with before. What made you select UPAC as the site for the open practice film? Um, well, it's it's the only theater in Kingston. Okay. Of its, uh, <laughs> you know, of its uh, elegance and magnitude and, and professionalism. Um, so I, I went to, to them and I had a very good uh, uh, contact. And then we took it from there. It's almost like a Broadway theater because it's got, you know, yes. very, it's very similar to the design of a Broadway theater. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's really amazing. I mean, that, uh, I don't know how old that theater is, but the Bardavan goes back to 1869. Yes, yes. A bit the same. UPAC uh, is quite old as well. Yes. It's incredible, yeah, it's, isn't it? That yeah. those institutions cont continue on. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it is. So what... After the the World Trade Center, what would you say was the next most challenging walk that you've done? Um, I would say each and every of my high wire walks, small, medium, or giant after the Twin Towers, was my most challenging because I do not um, grade events with a scale. You know, the mm -hmm. highest and longest means nothing to me. But I did actually the highest in the world right, <laughs> at the World Trade right. Center. I did the longest at the Eiffel Tower, but I'm not collecting the the lands and the heights. For me, what's interesting is the the artistic impact, the inspiration you can uh, offer a crowd by doing something unusual in an unusual space on a high wire. So I have done small walks that I think were, to me, as artistically enormous as some giant walk. Um, so I have done many things in New York, uh, Lincoln Center, the Museum of the City of New York, the Cathedral St. John the Div Divine, um, 
many places of the planetarium mm. um, where I put my wine in different settings for a different occasion. Um, and I continue to do so, although now with the interruption of this uh, COVID, it's really tough for a performer to perform. Mm. With the, you're the artistic, you're the artist in residence for the St. John's of Divine. And that's a magnificent uh, church on the upper east side of New York, upper west side of New York. Side 112 in Amsterdam. Beautiful. What have you, you've, you mentioned that you've done some shows in the naves because those are very Uh, elegant settings. Yes, I, I, uh, all my life, I was attracted by amazing building. I have a love for engineering and architecture. So after the World Trade Center, since I established myself in New York City, I look around and I learn about magnificent building. And very soon thereafter, I found myself in my first visit of the largest Gothic cathedral in the world, St. John the Divine. And I wanted to put a wire there illegally, uh, which I did, <laughs> and then I became friends with the Dean. Dean Morton was an amazing um, provocateur and creator. He invited the arts in the cathedral. Mm-hmm. He had theater and dance in the nave. Um, so anyway, at some point, I did a big walk outside the church, 16-story high, to celebrate the fact that after a 45-year hiatus, the cathedral was continuing to build. Mm. And in modern, had created a uh, stone cutter school, you know, and they were all day long uh, cutting stone, like in the Middle Ages. It was mesmerizing. And then at some point, I, I did a walk to uh, give the Bishop of New York, Paul Moore, the golden trowel that was used in 1800 to do in the crypt the first stone of the cathedral. And I became an artist in residence. Now, I have been 45 years artist mm-hmm. in residence. I have some offices hidden in the, in the church. <laughs> and I have done, I, I keep all my archive, I, I look back and I realize I have done 14 performances. Wow. Uh, play inside the church on the highway and some in other buildings or in the park, you know, in the clothes. Yes. um, It's an immense inspiration for me to be linked to that magnificent cathedral, which is still unfinished. Um, And it's a place that really the New Yorkers and the visitors of New York should uh, spend time discovering. It really is a spectacular um, nave. When you walk in there... It's, you can't even describe it. To me, it's more beautiful than St. Patrick's Cathedral. There's something oh, yeah, about it. Well, it's two football field mm. in length. I mean, it's totally insane. When you uh, sing, you know, like uh, a belt a note at the entrance uh, by the bronze door, the end of the narthex, yeah. it goes, the sound travel, hit the curve, the end of the church, and come back to you. And there is a lapse of some seconds. I mean, it's it's amazing. I have performed in that church many times with music, with the organ, or with Paul Winter at the saxophone, mm-hmm. or Evelyn Crochet at the piano, you know, great artist. I perform with music all the time, and um, it's, it's an amazing space. Now, am I correct in saying that you've walked over the Niagara River? Have you walked? Um, 
Yes and no. I was invited to participate into a bad film called, uh, it's an IMAX movie um, uh, called Niagara uh, Myth and Magic. Mm -hmm. And it's a not a documentary, it's a feature film uh, many years ago that was uh, taking some example of the daredevil that jumped in a barrel or did mm. things. And there was Blondin in 1859, a French rope walker, the cable did not exist yet, who decided to put his rope across the river with a fall in the background. But this was such a feat that they made a legend of it and they said Blondin crossed Niagara Falls. Well, nobody ever crossed Niagara Falls, mm. the falls, you know, um, but attempts have been made. And I wanted at some point to be the first war walker to cross, to create a line over both falls. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, never, never done. Um, so, yes, I did for that film, I, I did a little segment uh, but we fake it, we use the body of a crane, <laughs> we made believe that I was walking near and across the, the gorge with the cataracts there, but it was never done. Have you ever walked across a natural, um, as, now I'm talking about as opposed to buildings, like a natural... Oh, wonder. many times. Many times, well, for example, after the World Trade Center, uh, the sentence of the court that I twisted into, I walk uh, to the Belvedere Castle over mm -hmm. the lake. Then I was invited to the Great Falls of Patterson, New Jersey, and I did an incline very close to the thundering fall as a background. And many times in my life, I have put my wine in beautiful landscape for a special performance. Mm. You're really living quite a dramatic existence, aren't you? Um, well, I feel like life is short and you should enjoy yourself. And since I am burning with a passion or more than one passion, all my arts and all the things that interest me, I wake up in the morning knowing that the day is going to be too short. So, uh, you know, should I practice my magic? Should I go unicycling? Should I juggle? Should I get on the wire? Should I write a novel? Should I, uh, you know, draw something? And I, I am uh, very unhappy that life is short. And uh, I think the best thing to do is to be busy all the time and to keep saying life is short. It's much better than when is it going to stop? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Well, on that note, I'm going to thank you for all the time you spent with me today. This has been really wonderful. I admire what you do. You're a true artist, and I look forward to someday seeing oh, you in person. You. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you in person oh, on yes, The Wire. Yes. Very soon, I am too. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. Bye, bye everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Happy New Year. You too. Thanks. Thanks again to Philippe Petit and the Bardavon 1869 Opera House for supporting our Backstage with the Bardavon podcast. Backstage with the Bardavon is produced by Patrick Watson and Jody Melman. Sound engineering and editing is by Ben Harris. If you're enjoying this podcast, you can review it on iTunes. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Backstage with the Bardavon. Thanks again for listening and see you next time Backstage with the Bardavon. <laughs>